Welcome to Composer Quest with Charlie McCarron. Welcome back to Composer Quest. As you heard in this intro music by today's guest, I'm Charlie McCarron. And in this show, I talk with composers, songwriters, producers, and scientists to find out how to write better music. This episode features a talented songwriter here in Minneapolis, Eric Ostrom. I'd been running into Eric at different events around the Twin Cities, and I finally realized it was time to interview him when I saw his performance that combined his songs with a comedy improvising troupe. In this episode, I talk with Eric about why his songwriting style translates well into comedy sketches, and he shares a bunch of great stories behind his songs. Before we get started, I just want to say another quick thanks to everyone who donated to make the World Tour Kickstarter happen. I can't wait to hit the road in the fall and bring you this final season of Composer Quest. Now, let's get right into my talk with Eric Ostrom. One of these mics. Uh, Audio Technica 4040. Yeah, I think that's the one I'm using these days. Yeah. It's so, funny. I was watching your videos and I was like, I think I have that mic and that mic stand too. Yeah. Sounds about right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's interesting like reading your Facebook posts and stuff cuz there's like a lot of weird parallels. Like I'm also a vegetarian mm-hmm. non-drinker. Mm-hmm. Um I don't know. I also feel like I'm a closet extrovert. If that's what you're... Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Because I... Like you're saying, I've, I also feel like I could just hang out with people for any amount of time. Yep. But I'm I'm kind of a quiet person. Yeah. Like, I usually wouldn't be the first to talk in a group. Yeah. But... Like, I want to go sit uh, around a table with a bunch of friends and not have to say anything. <laughs> yep. Yeah. 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 When was that revelation for you that you realized that? It was probably about 20 years ago, less than 20 years ago. Uh, I was out at dinner with a couple of co-workers. One of them was a psychologist, although he, 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 was, a, he was a researcher with a psychology background. And we were talking uh, not very seriously about the Myers-Briggs personality test and he looked at me sort of appraisingly across the table and said, Eric, you're a closet E, aren't you? And I thought that was funny. The whole idea, because the whole idea of the extrovert was sort of big and out in the open. Um, but years later, I realized, well, no, that's not what the definition of extrovert is. The definition of extrovert is being outwardly focused, but not necessarily outwardly expressive. Hmm. So... Yeah, and I would see posts from my friends who identified as introverts about how they liked people and all, but sometimes they need to just go home and be alone in a dark room with a book. And I don't I don't need that at all. I don't want that. So yeah, I started taking it semi seriously and I don't like I don't think I'm doing science here. I just sort of started thinking, well, what if I say I am an extrovert and start arranging my life so that I'm around people, like a lot of people more of the time? Does that make me happier or sadder? And it seems to have made me happier. So Cool. Yeah. So, yeah, you're saying you have kind of gotten into 
like the improv comedy scene here in yes, Minneapolis. Yes, through a side door. Yeah? yeah? Yeah. I live very close to huge theater, uh, Minnesota's only nonprofit theater devoted to long-form improv, and started going to shows there and then went to a sort of Q&A with the board of directors uh, where they talked about their mission and uh, the problems they're trying to solve. And I love problem solving. And so I decided I wanted to get involved somehow. But they don't need an accordion player. You know, they don't need <laughs> a, a web developer, which is what I make money doing. So I ended up just volunteering uh, at the front desk, working the box office, and just gradually getting more and more involved until, at this point, I'm doing tech. I'm running sound and lights occasionally. I'm learning to do the actual improv a little bit. Uh, and it turns out occasionally improv does need an accordion. So oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm, I think, one of two accordionists who occasionally accompanies an improv group. That's great. Yeah. So what kind of, is it part of the sketch or is it kind of like a background-y element? Yeah, it's, it's scoring, uh, but it's, it's live scoring. So, you know, they're making up a narrative on the spot. And Kari Jackson and I play electric bass and accordion and just try to create music that enhances the mood or sometimes drives the mood. Cool. Uh, yeah. It's Could cool. you think of an example of like one of the scenes that worked pretty well with having you guys playing? Um, so a lot of times Kari is basically uh, playing... A bass line, you know, a repeated figure, and I get to do something uh, melodic or chordal over the top of it. Um, we had a good scene in rehearsal where things were getting very dramatic, sort of violent, and I was able to punctuate that with some, like, big dissonant accordion noises uh, I forget any of the dialogue, but there was uh, something somebody said, like, it could have been, and stay down. And I echoed the rhythm of what they'd done with the accordion. And then they said the line again. It probably wasn't, and stay down. Whatever. They said <laughs> the line again. And that time I was able to anticipate and actually, like, score that line with them, like, underlining each and stay down uh, with the accordion. And cool. that was uh, a little bit of magic. Huh. Yeah. So I suppose you, that's another like side door into improv is like just paying attention to the rhythms of yeah. their acting and comedy. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. There's a lot of... Um, it depends from group to group, performer to performer, but a lot of improv has a certain rhythm to it, not necessarily like a 4-4 four, four syncopated figure, but sort of repeated actions and lines of dialogue that keep recurring and getting bigger or uh, coming back in a, a, a changed form. Hmm. Um, and so being able to notice 
patterns on the fly and react to them helps. Yeah. So what what's it been like trying to do some improv yourself? Like, have you felt uh, like you're getting into that rhythm or? Uh, very stressful uh, for me because I'm a very planning kind of person in many ways. Like I'm very comfortable improvising musically, but I have kind of a reserved personality. I don't go for big gestures, which are a big part of sort of the comedy part of improv. Mm-hmm. Um, and Unless you're the straight man sometimes. Yeah, it all, it all depends. So what I'm finding is that there is, uh, like, there are things that happen in a lot of improv comedy that are not at all natural to me. And in some cases, the solution to that is to push myself and do things that feel unnatural and see if they work. And in some cases, the solution is to find ways to use what is natural to me to enhance a scene with other people. Um, Yesterday, I did a scene where basically my role was to sit in a chair, which was the passenger seat of a car, and mime eating chili while my scene partner sort of drove nervously and eventually said, just don't hit me. And that created this sort of background for our two characters. And, uh, but I didn't have to immediately react, like respond to that in a big way, in a, in a way, just looking at him and then going back to eating was a dramatic choice in itself. Hmm. So my point is you can go a long way in improv just by miming chili. (laughs) Yeah. Good lesson. Yeah. So I went to your concert on Monday, uh, yeah. which was very non-standard concert. That is true. Uh, yeah. Do you want to describe what happened there? Sure. Uh, I was playing with a group called The Local Music Scene. They have a show every uh, month at Bryant Lake Bowl. They are a group of nine improvisers and the four... Comedy improvisers. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Right. This, I'm in a context where yeah, I have to make it that distinction. <laughs> They're a group of nine comedy improvisers. Each month they invite a different musical guest, and the guest performs a theme song for the local music scene, which they've written especially for the show. I'll sing my heart into these songs, and you can read along. Words are in your program. If all's according to plan. My friends, the local music scene will listen to these words and think on what they've heard. And then
good. <laughs> and there's a short interview, and then uh, I sang a song, just one of my songs, and they listened and then created comedic scenes inspired by sometimes sort of the story of the song or the concept or just individual phrases they will pick up and use in their scenes. Um, and then we do it a few more times. There's, uh, I do three songs that they get to respond to and then one song that ends the show. Yeah. yeah. It was really cool. I, I think that's such a cool idea for a show because it's a good mix of like giving people a chance for reflection and somewhat seriousness. I mean, your songs were not very serious, but it's just yeah. like... Some of them were. Yeah, yeah. yeah. What, what was it like for you seeing your these de random details of your song being turned into like... So the first song was like about going up in a rocket ship and yeah. some time travel elements too. Yep. And then they act out these scenes. Yeah. yeah. So my first song was a love story about a space traveler and the time traveler. And they pulled that out into one story that recurred throughout the show that was about uh, a bunch of people in a somewhat panicky situation on a spaceship and another story about a time traveler on a first date. Were there parts, like, when you were imagining what it would turn into, did you kind of have a feeling they would pick out the most visual, or the, like, obviously going up in a rocket ship? Or Yeah, yeah. I picked that one because I thought this setting will be, you know, everybody likes spaceships and time travelers. Mm -hmm. um, when I first talked to uh, Philip the sort of creator of the local music scene, he said, you write songs with details, right? And because I had seen a lot of improv shows, I sort of knew what he meant. Like I had to give them songs with concrete, specific things that they could latch onto and work into a scene. So uh, you can't just write a song that says, I love you, I love you a lot, I really love you, because there's nothing in there for an improviser to make a sort of tangible world out of. But if I give them a song about Lucy, a high school kid who has a shameful secret, which is that although none of her family or friends know it, she's actually quite tall. Um, <laughs> like that gave them something to play with. They took it to a scene where uh, Lucy, having been rejected or at least met with ambivalence by her friends who she's coming out to as a tall person, she finds some new friends who are skyscrapers. And that was kind of wonderful to watch. <laughs> yeah, that was great. The other one I thought was really cool was your Alaskan King Crab King. Yeah. Of, well... Maybe I, oh, well, well, <laughs> maybe I should let you set that one up because 
that I went to a comedy show a few months ago and a storyteller told some hilarious and harrowing stories from her life and the lives of people around her. And one of them, um, I can't say exactly what it was about because I, I thought, this is great. I, I have to turn in this into a song. And I went home and wrote half of the song. Um, but then I forgot everything that wasn't in what I had written down. So what I have in the end is a song based on the half song based on Amy Durenberger's story. But it was a story about a woman and a man, and the man worked as a commercial fisherman, which meant that he was away at sea for long stretches of time, but when he, he was well paid and when he came home, he had a lot of cash. And she discovered that he was not, in fact, in the uh, fishing business. He was in the drug business. And I, I think there was a line in Amy's story about how she should have known he wasn't really a commercial fisherman because he lived far away from any ocean, just in the middle of the country. <laughs> so when I first started writing the song, I got the chorus kind of before I got anything else. And the chorus is just, uh, the Alaskan king crab king of... Mm-mm-mm. So I, I didn't have a place. Like it could have been uh, Anoka County or it could have been Tuscaloosa. But I, I spent several days just kind of singing the chorus to myself and trying to find a place name that fit the melody that I heard in my head. And it had to have the, the right sound too, not just the rhythm, but the syllables had to feel right. So it took a while but eventually I came to the Alaskan King Crab King of Pure South Dakota. You knew when you met her, life would be boring. The higher the high points, the deeper the crash. He's out on the ocean for weeks at a time. But he always comes home and he always has cash. When he's around, he's the spark of the party that whispers away in the dark. The Alaskan King Crab King of Pure South Dakota. The last song you played of the show, yeah, called Shine. Yes, that one really hit me. Um, yeah, I don't know. I I really like that song. And you're saying you kind of. A lot of your songs are about love lost or mm -hmm. something yeah. like that. Um, but this was for your friend's wedding? Yeah. That you wrote this? Yeah. So I, I had the idea to write a song for uh, my friends who are getting married. And I had written a lot of love songs, but they were all kind of sad love songs. Well, they, they were either sad love songs that you know, predict the end of a relationship. Nobody wants that at their wedding. Or optimistic songs about falling in love. But they weren't falling in love. They were in love. They were getting married. And I felt like the key there was how uh, to talk about a love that lasts for years and years. 
And I sort of found my way into that, again, through concrete details. So the first line is, I know the way you fold your favorite sweater. Um, and it's that sense of familiarity. I know the way you fold your favorite sweater. begins, you've seen the way I hide away the best of me. And then through the course of that verse, it becomes something about, uh, because I'm a very private person. And I, I think my friend who was getting married is too. And so that verse is about being willing to open up yourself to another person and trust that they will sort of keep your secret, and then discovering that maybe they don't keep your secret, but instead set it free and it's beautiful. Like, maybe there's something good in you that it's okay for the world to see. Um, and then there's a third verse. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't remember what it's about right now. <laughs> oh, the third verse was about... Um, how in a relationship we hurt each other and we we abrade each other, but we also heal each other. And the, the first part is inevitable and the second part is wonderful and makes it work. Pull me apart and mend the tear Weird for you, looking back at the first album that you recorded and wrote in 2003. Yeah. You I sent just, me that, and I was, when you said that this was the first thing you had ever recorded on your own, Yeah, I was pretty impressed. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I listen to it now, and uh, it sounds like baby me, you know, like I, I, uh, 
the last song on the uh, CD, which mm-hmm. was called By Your Side. Like, that's the one that I finished writing. I was recording this CD so that when I went on my, what I thought would be a tour in the fall of the year I quit my job, I would have something to sell or at least leave behind. And time was getting short to get a CD created. And so I finished writing this song late in the process and finished recording it like the night before I had to take it to the CD printing shop. Um, (laughs) Wow. But because it was so late in the process, it's the only thing on that disc that feels like the songwriter and recorder that I think of myself as now. Hmm. Yeah. Because it was more spontaneous? uh, Because I just had learned more uh, through the process of making those seven songs. They're not in recording order on the CD, but if they were, I think you would hear, oh, this is somebody who just figured out how to press record and (laughs) uh, maybe how to press stop. Uh, And later in the process, I was able... uh, the song is more complete. There are a lot of songs on that disc that feel like sort of a quick sketch of a song to me sure. now. So sort of lyrically and conceptually, it's more complete. And also, uh, as a recording, it has more layers and details that make me want to listen to it more than once. Another fight, another makeup. We're right back where we started from. And in the morning we wake up, we're worn down, deaf, dumb. Another day, another cul-de-sac, another dream deferred or denied. I'm too far gone to get back by your side. Lyrically of the songs, it seems like maybe the most interesting because you start out thinking like this is definitely a breakup song or something like that, but then it takes a little bit of a turn and you you do want to push through the struggles with this person. Yeah. Again, it's a it's a song about how life can be hard, but in this case, with the help of another person, you can fight your way through it. Your glasses on the bedside table The dawn's light leaves no doubt There's something still that I'm not able or willing to live We need a change, we need some air to breathe But we don't have to turn back the tide So take these steps with me By your side Where was one and the same in recording order? Because that's my favorite one, I think Um that was both pretty early in the process and pretty late because I recorded it and put it on my, you know, live journal website. And so then I was counting on having it on the record. 
And then uh, just before that last minute song I was talking about, I realized that all of the backing vocals and things that I had put on the recording, I had actually just meant to put on the recording. Uh, So I ended up going back to that one pretty late in the process and adding more to it. Hmm. Well, I I was listening to the melody in that one, and I just realized, and I checked on piano, and the range of that melody is like an octave and a fifth. Really? (laughs) Yeah, which is crazy. But it really works for that song. She's got a way always going wild for a while I was going with her yeah I love that melody I basically can't sing it um, I think uh, when I wrote it I was using a guitar that I had this uh, unusual tuning that I use on my guitar and I had come to this tuning by raising several of the strings, uh, and that, I broke a lot of strings, and eventually I figured out that it'll be, it'd be healthier if I instead lowered the other strings, but that meant that now to play that song in the only key I can sing it in, I have to put a capo up at, like, fret 11, um, which makes it very difficult to get my hands around it, so yeah, that song's kind of off the books just, at this point. Just into um, recording history. Yeah, but I, I just, I actually just wrote another song where I have to jump up. Uh, it's the rocket ship. It's rocket oh. ship high. Uh, I have to jump up an octave and a third, I think. From one note to the next? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and then I have to like cascade down from there to an even lower note than the one I jumped up from. Whoa. So... Again, it's a lovely melody. I, I'm proud of having written it. It is, it is hard to sing. Hmm. Um, if I asked you to play it, do you think you could would try, try yes. pulling, off, pulling it off? Yeah. Okay. High over the ocean I don't know when I'll touch down again But I'll see you then You, you're in a time machine Or should I say were You will had traveling into the time You'll see me when I remember when all of this seemed like science fiction I remember when all of it seemed like a shot in the dark I remember a walk in the park But your voice in my ear says the future is here So don't fight it Just ride this rocket ship high over the ocean 
Time for a nice game of chess Shipboard computers, a regular joke But I miss you best I remember when all of this seemed like science fiction I remember when none of it seemed it could ever come true I remember time spent with you But your voice in my ear says the future is here So don't fight it Just ride this rocket ship high over the ocean 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 Ride this rocket ship high Nice. I really like your phrasing in that song. It's like thanks, kind of off rhythm from what you mm-hmm. would think. Mm-hmm. One of my favorite bands is a synth pop group called the Blue Nile, uh, and their singer is Paul Buchanan. He almost never sings on the beat. He'll start a line. Um, well, I wish I had a line handy to demonstrate with, um, but. Yeah, like in your song, yeah, like the science fiction line yeah. seems like slightly off kilter, yeah. which is great. I remember when all of the scene. Yeah, I think I'm just going into sort of. Yeah, I don't know what I'm doing there. Um, yeah, I think I think I'm just playing. I'm singing the off beats, uh, singing the 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 off eighth notes, and. A lot of that comes from just wanting the singing to have the rhythm of speech where we don't talk in even syllables. I can't even do it. Uh, (laughs) We don't talk in even syllables all the time. So finding ways to to make a melody mirror that. Yeah. That song also has some interesting sort of loops in it. Um, I'm a little obsessed with music that loops and changes. So the first word of the song is hi, uh, and I mean it as hi, hello. But then later in the song, it comes back as ride this rocket ship high over the ocean. And that high is in the same place melodically, but it means something different. And at the end of the song, I'm singing repeatedly, ride this rocket ship high over the ocean. And it's in the original recording I made, that was two voices. The lead vocal was singing, ride this rocket ship high, and the uh, I had backing vocals singing, high over the ocean. Just ride this rocket ship high over the ocean. Ride this rocket ship high over the ocean. Ride this rocket ship high over the ocean. Ride this rocket ship high. It's also a five chord, like five bar repeated pattern, hmm. which there's a number of places in that song where 
it sort of cuts itself short. So there you sort of expect there to be another bar or three, but instead you've found yourself right back. And also at the end of the first chorus, that line I was just talking about, the chorus ends with ride this rocket ship high, but the high is also the high over the ocean uh, beginning of the next verse. But your voice in my ear says the future is here, so don't fight it. Just ride this rocket ship high over the ocean. Time for a nice game of chess. Shipboard computers are regular Joe, but I miss you best. And I feel like the the end of your song, Shine, also repeats the same thing, right? Yeah. But it's kind of like it's repeating the same melody over very different Yeah, it repeats the melody over probably about eight chords. And in that song I just did, the melody repeated at the same point in the chord progression, the same point in the the rhythm, the meter of the song, which is almost always what you do when you repeat a line Mm -hmm. in music. Um, In Shine, I am singing against the rhythm against the meter against the chord progression i am my voice is repeating a melodic line more slowly than the chords are changing so that where it fits over those chords changes as the song continues it also changes from performance to performance so i never know exactly how it's going to end like where am i going to be when i get when i need to get to that last shine and that last chord will always shine like the ocean shine philosophical choice of doing that at the end of that song or because here's the way i interpreted it when i was listening was that it's like you have this song about a couple that's getting through life and um working through everything and so i imagined like the line you're singing is kind of like the stable couple in love and the chords underneath and everything else is like the world changing around them, but they just keep going. I like it. But I, that's... Uh, yeah, no, go with it. All right. That's well. exactly what it's about. <laughs> um, no, I just... I just uh, it's again, uh, I love loops and changes. Um, so that's a thing I love to do is repeat a melody and change the chords under it so that it feels different. But I love that you can read stuff into it. it, which is exactly the same as I love how the improv group made their own stories sort of 
continuing out of or going in a different direction from the lyrics that I'd written. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I bet you're a Radiohead fan. I listened to Kid A a whole lot. I listened to In Rainbows a whole lot when I had it out from the library. Um, I'm I'm not a whole whole discography Radiohead oh, sure. fan. Um, well, the the reason I say that is the looping and having the melody go over different things. Yeah, kind of reminds me of their style sometimes and the odd time signatures and yeah, the know. stuff that I was uh, saying with chord progressions that cut themselves short or that repeat sooner than you expect them to. Uh, I think of like Idiotech from Kid A has a similar like unsettling yeah motion to it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I really enjoyed your electronic music that you've been doing. Thanks. Too. I started a side project where I create background music. And uh, it was called Zonky Flay because I had a dream where I saw a... Uh, I was outside a theater and I saw a marquee that said, Tonight, Zonky Flay. And <laughs> I thought, what kind of band is that? And then like a year later, I decided to do this side project and I thought, oh, that's what that's what <laughs> that's kind of band it is. Echo Chamber. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, I was Echo, curious. Echo Canyon. Echo Canyon, yeah, yeah sorry. So I, I was curious what you used to make that. Yeah. Because that, that sounds really awesome. And I love the Thanks. chord progression going throughout. There's a thing called National Album Writing Month um, in November where people challenge themselves to record, I think, uh, 29 minutes of music. And I signed up for that and then didn't quite get around to it until November 29th. Um, so I sat down on the 29th and started playing the keyboard and seeing what sounds came out. And Ableton Live, the expensive edition, comes with a grand piano instrument and a bunch of electronic instruments that are made out of the sampled grand piano. So Echo Canyon, I don't actually remember which of the tracks on my 29-minute album were made from sort of presets and which ones I did some sound design on, but that's, it sounds sort of like strings. Yeah, like soft. Uh, Yeah. um, Or like organy almost yeah but it's got it's got a a slow attack uh unlike an organ and unlike a piano um but that's because they you know softened the attack or i softened the attack on it Mm -hmm. so you're just hearing the sound of the piano uh reverberating and not the sound of the hammer hitting the string So it's that combined with 
there's a lot of looping going on. On one of the tracks, there's an effect where if you hold down the key, it's repeating it every eighth note instead of sustaining it. And there is an arpeggiator. So every it starts out with a simple, almost a bass line, uh, like an ostinato. And this was sort of semi-improvised. I was kind of recording it as I figured it out. But going from that single note line, adding a note on top of it, but with an arpeggiator, so it sounds... uh, It's still single notes the way it came out. Um, And then adding a layer on top of that. So by the time you get about two-thirds into it, there's these really rich chords being arpeggiated and echoed and you can't really tell where where any specific thing is coming from I like this sort of collaboration between me and a robot, you know? <laughs> yeah. I like tools that seem to have enough of a mind of their own that I get surprised uh, yeah. while I'm recording. Yeah. Yeah. I, I use a Ableton arpeggiator all the time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, people who've listened to the show know my music production lessons are always like, yep. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I used an arpeggiator on this one, too. Oh, yeah, this one, too. Oh, yep. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, it is a great tool, and you don't have to be a great player to get cool rhythmic things yeah. going on. Yeah. So this let me use... Like, I'm a, I'm a... I play a lot of instruments, and none of them with great agility. Uh, so this let me use uh, my harmonic sense, which is pretty strong without having to move my hands up and down the keyboard constantly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it, it really reminded me of, like, really good, like, minimalist writing or... Thanks. You know, it's repetition and change again. Mm-hmm. Um, it's starting with that simple line and then building on top of it. One of my favorite examples of this, you know, from the the repertoire is Steve Reich's... Uh, music for 18 musicians it's repetitive but it's not actually ever repetitive it sounds like it's doing the same thing over and over again but there's always a little change happening i used to think that i could listen to music for 18 musicians in the background while i was working on something or falling asleep but it turns out that it demands my attention more closely more insistently than any other piece of music because there's always that little bit of change happening at every moment until every once in a while there's a big change um, and you you realize you've been building up to and waiting for that, you know, for six minutes. Um, so that to me is a staggering work, but I'm trying to take little lessons from it. Yeah. Yeah. 
I had a guest in a few episodes back, Brian Schumann, um, local composer here, but he's doing a challenge this year to do one thing every week, mm-hmm. like one mm-hmm. song every week. Um, but you were doing a project that was one song or one piece of music every day for I did that for 30, 30 days. days. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. What, what was that experience like? It was great. It was freeing is what it was because I didn't, ha- I write, uh, for the singer songwriter stuff. Uh, you can't tell this on the podcast, but every time I say singer songwriter, I reach over and pat my guitar <laughs> to indicate to Charlie what a singer-songwriter is. <laughs> well, at least you're aware of what is not being recorded. <laughs> um, I find it pretty easy to come up with music, especially a little bit of music. Uh, lyrics are hard. It's hard to find lyrics that I, uh, to write lyrics that I won't, just be embarrassed to sing. So for the 30, the music everyday project, the goal was just to create and record anything. So some days I would get deeply into Ableton Live and loops and like arrange a whole piece with structure and rising and falling action. And some days I would get home and it was 11.30 at night and I would sit down at the piano and play something like jazz and press stop and be done. So just to be able to not not worry about the making complete or good pieces, but just make anything, that was very helpful to me. Yeah. yeah. Hmm. Uh, and I got some stuff out of it that I liked. Yeah. And that's a. Did you release some of those as Zonky Flay? Yes. Or, uh, I eventually made a Bandcamp album called Moonwork. Like, I picked nine or ten songs out of the 30 that had a similar flavor to them uh, a little bit electronic, a little bit abstract, a little bit funky. in a Silicon Valley startup with just some of the best people that I had ever worked with and cool project. Like it was the best job I had ever had, kind of the best job I could imagine having in that field. And I was coming to work every day and just, just depressed. And that seemed like not what I wanted to do. Um, in the meantime, I had, um, I think at the age of 28, I had started singing in public for the first time. Uh, I had started writing songs, but I didn't have enough mental space to really do it while going to this job for 40 hours plus every week. So then the company that I was working for got bought by Microsoft and Microsoft 
offered to pay to move most of us up to Seattle. And I thought about that. But it it felt like I was making a choice between, like, am I going to be owned by the software industry or am I going to try not to be? <laughs> um, so, uh, you know, I had some money saved up because I worked for a Silicon Valley startup. And I figured out I could get by for six months or so without noticeably changing my lifestyle. And I could spend that time just working, making music, writing songs and playing out and recording. And then uh, at the end of that six months, I could drive out to North Carolina for my friend's uh, wedding. And then if I was driving out to North Carolina anyway, I could like book a tour and play shows on the way there and on the way back. Um, yeah, it turns out I was not a person who could book a tour. I was also not a person who could spend six months really focusing on writing songs and recording things. I watched a lot of TV that summer is what I'm saying. <laughs> um, but I also wrote some songs and finished that first CD that you have listened to and, you know, laid the groundwork for a lot of what I've been doing since. Yeah. Uh, so as someone who's going to be going out on a tour, yeah. hopefully, uh, assuming the Kickstarter works out next week. Um, what kind of advice do you have for going around by yourself, trying to, I don't know, soak in the scenes you're visiting? And and I guess how how do you relay that information and stuff to people back home or listeners yeah. of the podcast? Because, I mean, I have never been a travel journalist, is, mm -hmm, I guess, mm -hmm. but... Yeah. Do you um, have thoughts? Well, I feel like I should have some thoughts because although I didn't exactly tour, I didn't book any shows is what happened. I booked one show in Minneapolis and I played a bunch of open mics uh, across the South, like in uh, Austin and I think Virginia and up to Boston and then looped back around to Minneapolis. Um, but I meant to answer your question which was about being a travel journalist. I didn't really play a tour, but I did have many hours alone in my car thinking and observing. And I, the way I think and observe and sort of process things is I put them into words. And I would be writing these little essays in my head about what I had seen and what it meant, although I would end up trying to write around the thing it meant to me. Like, not saying, here's the message of this series of streets named after Confederate generals, but just, there was this series of streets named after Confederate generals, and it made me think about how I grew up in a place where we did not name anything after Confederate generals. That's a semi-made-up example. Um, <laughs> Yeah. So, so do, yeah, that's the thing is like trying to bring people the experience yeah. without it being just me saying like, well, I did this, then I did this, then this. <laughs> yeah. And I think, but I think it is, it was for me that process of not just doing things, but finding connections between the things I did and connections between those things and 
the broader concerns of life. And then the choice about of whether to whether to underline those things or just sort of present them in a suggestive combination. Uh, that's that's a choice you can make. Yeah. Um, I, I will definitely want to do a lot of just field recordings. Yeah. And of different things. Yeah. Yeah. I wish I had uh, really had the capacity to do that when I made my big, big cross country trip. Yeah. You said you played one gig in Minnesota. Yeah. Is that what kind of inspired you to come live here? No. Um, I mean, it was fun. (laughs) Uh, So I grew up in Minnesota. I was away for 12, 15 years. I grew up in St. Peter, Minnesota, which is a smaller town a ways away from here. But while I was away, most of my family moved to the Twin Cities. So I have family here. That's a big deal. Minneapolis just, it's just great. (laughs) You know, it's got uh, a lot of live music, which many cities don't. Uh, It's got a lot of live theater, which many cities don't. It's got uh, tremendous bike infrastructure. uh, And I wanted to bike more. And now I do. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it's where I'm from. Like, the place where you grew up, it has an effect on how you talk and how you think about things and how you interact with people. And when I was living on the East Coast and the West Coast, I, I often felt a little bit just out of sync in conversations with people who had grown up there. And some of that is just because I'm a weirdo, but some of it is because I just have different sort of conversational rhythms and habits. And so it, it always felt good when I came back to visit to sort of say things the way that it felt natural to say them and feel like I was understood, mm-hmm. like it was less work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's kind of fun that you... The, where I met you was you came to the very first Composer Quest concert. Yeah. Yeah. How did you find out about that? And should we talk about theme music? Oh, sure. Yeah. yeah. It, it, the... That's part of my answer to your question. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. What is the theme music group? Yeah. So been in? Uh, almost four years ago, a guy named Matt Brown started a Facebook group where he would pick a theme every week. Like the very first theme was Elvis Costello songs, but a theme might be uh, one-word titles that start with the letter C or songs about crime and punishment. And then he and his friends would think of songs that match the theme and you know post videos to this Facebook group about them. And they're also writing original songs, uh, obviously not for the Elvis Costello theme, but these days every theme has rules that you can apply to write your own songs. So it's just this constant stream of creativity and collaboration that's been, I think, really rejuvenating for a lot of people and inspiring. And um, the three songs that I sang the other night 
for, uh, for the local music scene to improvise to, those were all songs that I had written or finished in response to a theme music theme. Oh, um, cool. So one of the themes was songs with the word high or low in the title. And the first line that came into my head was, hi, I'm in a rocket ship. And the song flowed from there. Hmm. Is it an open group that people can join or how does that work? It is at this point uh, an, a group that you have to be invited to. Hmm. Um, okay. but, uh, but if listeners are pretty cool, then yeah. maybe if you're they cool, will get the invite. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's, yeah, it's not a like public group because, I don't know, we're at this point a little bit of a close-knit community, but we also want more people to be involved. Sure. I don't know how to say this. Um, yeah. yeah. Well, I, I, I could understand that you don't want, wouldn't want to open the floodgates and have yeah. the trolls come out. Maybe. <laughs> but yeah. I feel like most people who are interested you, you in the topic... You know what it topic... is? It's not, that, um, it's not that we're worried about trolls so much as when you see a group where a lot of people are posting music... I think the temptation is for a lot of people to just like add this to their promotional platform. And theme music is not for that. It is for communication. So if you're posting stuff, you have to also be listening to stuff and reacting and sharing your thoughts. Yeah, that makes sense. Because there is an urge, especially as a young songwriter, yeah. to... Just be like, oh, I just really need people to listen to this. And like you count the views on your videos. Sure. And I mean, who does? I probably Still doing it. Everybody yep. does yep. that anyways. But so you uh, said you went to theme stock in Atlanta. Yeah. yeah. So what is that? Somebody said, you know, we should we should just all get together somewhere in the United States and just take over a bar for the night and jam and play songs. And then we did. So uh, every Columbus Day weekend, I go to Atlanta to hang out for four days, rehearse for two days, and play a five-hour, 50-song concert with about 75 friends from the internet. Uh, it is a tremendous experience, musically and emotionally. We don't put 75 people on stage at the same time. Oh, darn. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's, again, about 50 songs, each played by a different subset of those 75 people. And we each get only half an hour to rehearse. So you can do some prep work before you get there, but basically you have half an hour in a room to figure out how the four or ten of you are going to play this song together. Hmm. And the first time I went, that was pretty stressful for me. But I've been there enough times to just trust that it works. That's cool. <laughs> so somehow this ended up with yeah, you coming to so, the concert? <laughs> uh, so I knew Kyle Gray Young through the theme music group. Oh. Uh, he lives in Wisconsin, and he responded to your challenge 
which was to arrange a piece for Wind Trio, I think. Yeah. 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 Twin uh, Cities Trio. And he, he did arranged... an awesome one of Super Mario yeah. music. <laughs> yeah, it was great. concert was great i still think about the uh call me maybe uh arrangement (laughs) and you've done a couple quests yourself yeah i did uh uh uh, like two seconds for the scriabin Scriabin. patrick scriabin yep Conversations. Conversations. With, song yeah. with Megan Gustafson. maybe know about the question chain that goes from episode to episode um so last week's guest has a question for you so gregory scott asked what is your overarching or predominant thought that threads its way through all of your decisions when composing and arranging a song one predominant thought huh um i'll give you his it was space Mm. As a producer, he was talking about how it's just really important for him to have space sonically and, I guess, yeah. otherwise. I feel like there's a clue in the conversation that we've had, and so I'm going to take that clue and say my predominant thought is repetition and change. That comes up in the, the loop-based music and even in... You know, writing a pop song or a folk song, I'll try to write a chorus that is a little bit different each time you come back to it. So, yeah, repetition and change. Cool. Do you have a question for the next guest? I mean, I I feel like this one has come up before, but just what's a kind of music that you want to make but you don't know how to? Because that's a recurring thing for me. Uh, I was a jazz guy in college, and then I started listening to folk music, and I didn't know, like, I liked it, but I didn't know how people did it. And then I was a folk singer, but I really liked electronic music, and I, how do you make electronic music? Yeah. The last tradition on the show is coming up with an intro theme for the podcast episode. All right. You think you can do it on the spot here? Uh, I think if we take a few minutes sure. off mic, I'll sure. come up with something. All right. Welcome to Composer Quest with Charlie McCarron. Nice. <laughs> All right. All so. Right. We got the intro theme set now. <laughs> it's great. Um, yeah. 
Eric, it's been really fun having you on the show. Thanks. It's been fun for me, too. Yeah. Uh, any any upcoming concerts for people in the Twin sure. Cities? Yeah. That you're... Uh, on June 17th, I'm playing a show at The Warming House, which is a lovely, intimate venue at 40th and Bryant. Uh, it's pretty much brand new. Um, and I'm opening for a band called School for Girls, which is led by uh, James Roan, who is just an amazing songwriter. His songs go in places that I never expect, but they feel exactly right. So I'm yeah. excited about that, June 17th. And it's, it's cool that you were, you had kind of stopped booking shows. For yeah, because it's, but... it's fun to make music, but it's hard to book shows and it's hard to play shows that nobody comes to. <laughs> but yeah, a couple of things kind of fell into my lap recently. And I'm excited to be getting out there again. Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, thanks, Eric. Thank you. Thanks for joining me for this episode of Composer Quest with Eric Ostrom. You can find his music at ericostrom.com, spelled E-R-I-K-O-S-T-R-O-M. You can follow Composer Quest on Twitter or Facebook, and you're welcome to email me, charlie at composerquest.com. Now I'll leave you with Eric's song that's been stuck in my head for weeks, called One and the Same, which you can find on his album TK.
better